Welcome to the Thinking Differently podcast, where we explore the new horizons of our rapidly changing world. I'm Rod Collins, your host for today's podcast. As technological innovations continue to transform the rules for how successful businesses work, we challenge business leaders to rethink how they remain competitive in a digitally transformed marketplace. In his best-selling book, Moneyball, Michael Lewis tells the true story of how the Oakland A's general manager, Billy Bean, built a competitive team on a very limited budget by defying the conventional wisdom of baseball experts. Instead, Bean relied upon an unconventional, sophisticated data analytics approach to scout and evaluate players. Despite perennial meager budgets, In the 19 years Bean has used data analytics to build teams, the A's have made the playoffs an impressive nine times. Bean's innovative approach has literally become a game changer, as many of baseball's most talented clubs today are employing the key principle that serves as the foundation for building successful teams. Trust the evidence of data over the opinions of experts. The story of Moneyball is intriguing because it calls into question the judgments of individual experts. After all, if the knowledge of experts in a relatively simple industry such as baseball could be significantly improved by an unconventional data analytical approach, Could the same be true for more complex human activities? It was a question that many, if not most of us, had not considered before Lewis popularized this story. After publication, Lewis was surprised to learn that the ideas in his books weren't as original as he thought. A chiding review in The New Republic pointed out that Lewis did not seem to be aware of the deeper reason for the inherent flaws in expert judgments, and that is the dynamics of thinking in the human mind. The discovery of the workings of human thinking and how they can enable inefficient and sometimes irrational expert judgments had been described years prior by a pair of psychologists. Daniel Kahneman, whose groundbreaking work resulted in a Nobel Prize, and his longtime collaborator, Amos Tversky. This review would inspire Lewis to delve into the story of the work of these two psychologists, which would become the subject of his subsequent book, The Undoing Project. Kahneman and Tversky discovered that the human brain is a paradox. While it is capable of producing highly developed analytical and creative intelligence, it is also prone to make apparently senseless errors. Why is this so? The answer, according to the psychologists, is that people are nowhere near as rational as they think 
and are incredibly susceptible to unconscious biases that influence human decision-making to a far greater extent than we realize. You may recall that in season one, we discussed how Kahneman and Tversky discovered that people engage in two different thinking modes in their day-to-day lives. They referred to these ways of thinking by the nondescript names System 1 and System 2. System 1 is fast thinking, which operates automatically with little or no effort. It is highly proficient at identifying causal connections between events, sometimes even when there is no empirical basis for the connection. System 2, on the other hand, is slow thinking and involves deliberate attention to understanding details and the complex web of relationships among various components. Whereas System 1 is inherently intuitive, deterministic, and undoubting, System 2 is rational, probabilistic, and highly aware of uncertainty and doubt. Needless to say, these two ways of thinking are contextually very different. Both System 1 and System 2 thinking are distinctly human capabilities that have provided humanity with an immense evolutionary advantage. We are capable of developing complex intellectual structures such as mathematics, physics, and music via applications of System 2. And thanks to System 1, humans have the unique capability to make judgments and decisions quickly from limited available information. In employing these two capabilities, Kahneman and Diversky found that while we may perceive ourselves as predominantly rational System 2 thinkers, the reality is most human judgments and decisions are based upon the more intuitive System 1 for the simple reason that we don't have the time to do System 2 thinking. However, while fast thinking is more useful in making immediate choices, it is also more likely to result in judgment errors, even though when engaged in System 1, we tend to feel more confident than when we employ System 2. That's because the mental narratives that are a natural byproduct of System 1 are likely to result in biases that often cause us to make confident decisions that are completely wrong. These mental narratives are likely what guided the conventional thinking of traditional baseball scouts. Similarly, System 1 narratives may be informing the thinking of the public health experts who continue to influence the shaping of public policy in the current COVID-19 pandemic. And if this is so, it raises the question of whether or not the mass application of social distancing 
mask wearing, lockdowns, and school closures might be another case of humans making confident judgments and decisions from limited available information. For insight into this question, let's begin with the data we know and the data we don't know. We know the number of confirmed cases, the number of COVID-19 hospital admissions, and the number of deaths associated with the coronavirus. We are also aware of critical key trends about who are most vulnerable to the invisible enemy. While people of all ages can be infected with COVID-19, those with an underlying health condition, such as diabetes, hypertension, asthma, heart disease, and obesity are most at risk. Elderly who have a chronic illness are at particularly high risk. A very important trend that has emerged is that rarely does anyone die from the virus alone. The vast majority of coronavirus deaths are comorbidities. This may explain why the young, who have far fewer chronic conditions, are generally not at high risk when infected with the virus. While this information is very helpful in informing us about the behavior of the infection once it is confirmed, there is a critical data gap that prevents us from accurately gauging the extent of the actual threat of COVID-19 upon the general population. This piece of data, which has been inexcusably missing for more than a year, is perhaps the most important number needed to shape public policy for effectively combating the invisible enemy, the actual number of people infected. This number is critical because it is the foundational denominator necessary for calculating accurate data. Without this number, we do not know the true infection rate, nor the asymptomatic incidence rate, nor the mild symptom rate, the severe symptom rate, and most importantly, the true death rate. Because we continue to be unaware of this most important number, we have been seriously handicapped in any effort to truly follow the science in making policy decisions. Unfortunately, because these decisions are based on limited available information, they are prone to unconscious biases. And as confident as the experts may feel, there are serious questions about whether or not their recommended policies have been the best course of action for the long-term containment of the virus. When the key numbers we have been tracking are the number of confirmed cases and the number of deaths, these parameters shape the context of our understanding of the virus. The number of confirmed cases in particular skews our understanding because it becomes a psychological substitute 
for the true denominator, which is the actual number of infections, that continues to remain unknown. This is one of the ways System 1 thinking operates. If there is incomplete information and we must make a decision, we mentally create a proxy context if one does not exist. This may explain why the initial estimates of potential coronavirus deaths in the United States were in the millions. Without the true denominator, we don't know whether the death rate is 4.0% or 0.4%, which would make a big difference in how we make policy decisions. In the absence of this key data, there is understandably a natural bias to err on the safe side. This translates into the policy principle espoused frequently by both the experts and the government leaders of putting safety first. But what does putting safety first really mean? For the infectious disease experts, the guiding principle appears to mean making sure that there are enough beds and ventilators for the seriously afflicted until vaccines or therapeutics are plentiful and the disease is no longer a threat. Stay-at-home orders accomplish this objective for those at high risk for the infection. However, lockdowns of entire populations have a very serious side effect, which ironically threatens the sense of safety for the large numbers of people who lose their jobs in shutdown economies. Many if not most of these people, are at lower risk from the virus. And for them, safety first means having a job and not facing the fearful prospect of permanent financial ruin. When the coronavirus first erupted into our lives, it was immediately framed as a public health crisis which is why the guiding expertise for handling the pandemic came from the public health community. As a result, the strategic focus in combating the virus, especially in the early days of the pandemic, was organized around making sure the healthcare system was not overwhelmed by an influx of COVID-19 patients. Mass social distancing and stay-at-home policies were quickly put in place to support this organizing principle. This guidance propagated a narrative that has become a form of conventional wisdom. According to this narrative, social distancing and mass wearing are necessary because any one of us could be a potential carrier. Despite the insistence of governmental leaders that they are following the science, many policy decisions seem to be more informed by the opinions of experts than the evidence of data. And these opinions are often grounded in a questionable moral position that coerces people to accept whatever inconveniences or hardships we need to endure, 
even if that means tens of millions lose their jobs and face the prospect of financial rule, because there is nothing more sacred than saving lives. However, one of the strange consequences of this ad hoc morality is that the only deaths that seem to matter are COVID deaths. Somehow, the collateral death and destruction have become acceptable losses. While these losses may be acceptable to the public health experts who are myopically focused on this one disease, these consequences are very real to the millions of people who may have to live for decades with the collateral damage from short-sighted policies. Stress and anxiety from social isolation and financial uncertainty have likely resulted in increases in alcoholism, drug addiction, domestic violence, suicides, and ironically, weakened immune systems. The latter is most significant because more people with weakened immune systems translates into more people in the COVID-19 high-risk group. Perhaps the most troubling part of this narrative is its claim to be data-driven, when there has been no credible attempt made to estimate the actual number of infections. In a New York Times editorial at the start of the pandemic, Professor Lewis Kaplow of Harvard University urged decision-makers to take the most important step in enabling a truly data-driven solution. Perform large-scale national testing on a stratified random sample of the U.S. population. Until we know the actual infection rate, according to Kaplow, we are flying blind in the fight against COVID-19. Kaplow makes the point that random population testing is the key to unlocking the mysteries surrounding COVID-19. It is also the key to enabling a rational System 2 solution to a very complex problem. Because we never made an effort to know the actual infection rate and continue to monitor only the bias-confirmed case rate, we are indeed flying blind, a clear sign our decision-makers are informed by System 1. And if that's the case, we are almost certainly not as rational as we think and are likely following a narrative, not the science. In our next episode, we will continue the discussion of the groundbreaking work of Kahneman and Tversky as we explore the inherent hazards of experts. Thanks for listening today. Please join us next week for another episode where we will share more engaging stories about the new rules for successfully leading businesses in a rapidly changing world. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>